Steven, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show. I actually really enjoyed this much more than I thought I would. Not because of you. <laughs> Backhanded compliments. Uh, <laughs> so what's your podcast about? This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. On this episode, we are happy to introduce whom I call the anti-entrepreneur, Stephen Moody. Stephen built a marketing agency in Vietnam, and after a while, he began to realize that something was terribly wrong. He realized that he was trying to fit into an entrepreneurial box that he didn't belong. He also began to realize the traditional role as an entrepreneur was just not for him. So he closed the doors on his business and experienced a sense of freedom. He now focuses on freelancing and self-employment and enjoys this lifestyle much better. Today we will dig into Stephen's struggle as a typical entrepreneur and why he chose out. And with that, let's jump into the podcast. What didn't you like about the traditional entrepreneurial role? I... I thought through this one I was reading some different personality tests you know how much I love those and there's one that actually fits kind of a typically is an entrepreneur role and the, the thing the thing I, I know about entrepreneurs and that most of my clients are entrepreneurs and that's why I prefer that I prefer working with entrepreneurs uh, but to be an entrepreneur you have to drink your own Kool-Aid hmm. and I, I'm not ready to drink any, any Kool-Aid even my own uh, and and I, I and that's really difficult, right? It's difficult to have a lot of interest and be a traditional entrepreneur because you're basically trying to get people to give you money to invest in something that you're going to put a bunch of work into up front. And it's going to pay off. So, and the second thing I don't like is related to the Kool Aid is um, it's this idea that you're you're going to reach this moment in the future where you're happy if you work mm. hard enough. And I. I was tired of of trying to fight for Plan B and and you know waiting for that that magical day and I could see it in people in Silicon Valley because they have a four year uh, vesting schedule for their stock so they they all have four year windows to paradise and some of them make it to be fair but uh, a lot of the ones who make it realize that they were unhappy and, and most of them don't succeed and uh, then I realized I was doing the same thing I was kind of thinking oh if I just put this off I can do this if I if I you know just work a little a little bit harder now and you know uh, a couple years of that and I wasn't making progress um, and I realized that when I I, I, w I do a weekly review of, of what of what I'm doing and I always ask myself you know what lessons I learned this week and I stopped learning and that that was the the ultimate the final uh, the final straw for me uh, I realized if, if I'm not learning uh, I am not growing then I don't see how I can get out of where I am hmm. and I, I see entrepreneurship as a vehicle but it's become an identity for a lot of people and and I try to limit my identities as much as I can and I realize that that I've taken that on too much what does happiness look like to you now it's finite projects so I I I used to think I was bad at finishing things but I realized actually I'm really good at finishing things when I can see the light at the at the end of the tunnel, and I know that it's, I know I can see the finish line. And so 
a finite project is great for me. So, you know, talking about doing this school in Mexico City or, or Brazil, what I like about it is, you know, I'm not planning to put five years into building a school that lasts forever. So, someone might do that someday. Great. Uh, I, I'd be happy to put together a project where, you know, it's six weeks of amazing people in the same place. And maybe someone takes that and turns it into a longer term thing. Uh, but I can see that, you know, the project will be over by September. And and I, I have the energy, you know, I, I know how much energy I have left for, for projects. I know if I can get to September. I know if I can get to July. Uh, but when a project is, you know, can go anywhere from zero to, to 10 years and, uh, you know, most real entrepreneurship is a, is a 10 year commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but we don't tell ourselves that we get into it thinking it's going to be, you know, just a couple of years, we're going to get to where, where we want to be. That makes a lot of sense. Because I think you and I both have a lot of mutual friends that five years in their business, they're burnt out, but they still have a thriving business that is producing a lot of cash flow and a lot of profit. And they're torn between the decision of, should I sell this? Should I, I don't really like doing this anymore. Should I start a new business? Should I travel? You know, what's next? And that kind of makes sense by having those finite goals of, okay, I have a six month project where we're going to put together something that lasts. And then at the end of it, we're done and we're on to the next thing. Do you think that has something to do with recently? We've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurs and the subject of entrepreneurial ADD has come up quite a bit. Do you think you experienced a bit of that or what do you think it is exactly for you that makes you work better that way? Actually, I, I think the the best real entrepreneurs have uh, ADHD. Uh, it seems to be a feature, and and so it's this momentous amount of energy they can put into something, and and they have to, and so it's just kind of a healthy way to to channel that energy is because real entrepreneurship takes this huge Im- initial amount. You know, in finance, you talk about capital expenditures versus operating expenditures, and you know, starting a company is a huge amount of mental capital expenditure of, of just energy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people with ADHD are uniquely suited to that. Um, I don't think I have ADD. I don't chase, um, you know, every new opportunity, but I love a variety of things. And I, I, all my success in life has come from synthesizing uh, ideas from different places. And, and so I, I have to have what might look like ADD to some people. Um, but that's, that's a feature of how I learn and grow is, you know, I, I can study uh, cybersecurity and then relate it back to marketing and how we need to cultivate our own security around our attention because, you know, it's, it's being uh, attacked every day by marketers in, in new ways. And there are very few people in the world who are going to take the time to put those two ideas together. Uh, I, I don't think it's ADD. I, I, I mean, it's, I, I actually have an incredible amount of focus on the things I do. Uh, I just, you know, in a day, uh, but I don't have the focus on a, you know, two-year horizon around any one idea. There's no idea that I care about so much that I want to to lose myself for it. Stephen, I know. You said you kind of realized this about yourself from running your agency in Vietnam. And I know you're pretty analytical and, and you do a lot of tests to see what helps you operate best and you read a lot of books. What are some other 
some things you used just to help you get to know yourself better because it seems like after many conversations with you, you take an incredible amount of time to figure yourself out. Because I remember when we were in Barcelona, you were working on the Myers-Briggs test and how you operated under that form as a business operator or that personality type as a business operator. So what I'm asking, is there, is there any other ways that help you get to know yourself better so you know and understand how to operate from a better place and thus become more happy and fulfilled because of it? Oh, I think there's one uh, one thing that's really uh, helped me in my life repeatedly, and uh, as some advice, probably it was I want to say it was from the Stumbling on Happiness book um, that if you if you think you know what you want to do in ten years, find the person who's already doing it, uh, and you know this kind of remo- first this removes the fact that we think we're snowflakes and, and we're unique because we have to admit that there is someone else who is is where we want to be in ten years. And, and second, you get to see what it looks like, the good and the bad. Uh, so, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, I had, you know, even though I was given good advice by lawyers that in my, who were in my life that said, don't be a lawyer. But, you know, still going through college, I was like, you know what? I want to do it. I, you know, I, I'm studying philosophy so I can, I can go straight into law school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, you know, I had some inklings that maybe it wasn't what I wanted. You know, mostly I fell asleep in constitutional law, but uh, it still seemed like the right thing. And then I started working for for lawyers. I, I volunteered at a local, uh, you know, like the, the DA, but for um, a civil law. I, I was surrounded by lawyers all day, and then I, I worked for some some uh, personal injury lawyers. And what I found was, out of maybe forty lawyers I interacted with on a on a decent basis, only one was happy. And, and that person was only happy because uh, she was saving kids from, uh, you know, losing their parents in a custody battle. Mm-hmm. And that was like a focus of her job. And, and that was where her joy came from. It had nothing to do with law. And overall, lawyers were, um, you know, they, they drank a lot. They were, they were stressed. They had no control over what they were doing. Um, you know, basically, they, were, they did what they had to do from judges, from clients. They're always being told what to do. They would write something and then, you know, they'd have almost no impact on the outcome. And uh, they were almost always the scapegoats for, you know, whatever went, went wrong. And, and, you know, repeatedly I could just see how unhappy they were. I was like, wow, like, if, you, if I want happiness, if, if that's something I care about, this isn't the right way forward. It's, it's pretty obvious. So I was really lucky to, to see that and, and to avoid that. Uh, and I, I think I've done the same thing recently, kind of thinking through business. Uh, I I enjoyed uh, the the mistakes podcasts until they made the mistake of stopping it. Uh, but uh, Peter Shankman and uh, uh, Peter Keller had great interviews with entrepreneurs about how they failed, and so I you know heard a lot of different failure modes from different people running businesses and can kind of hear where I was going. And I and from that I kind of just realized with the the people that are are succeeding the people who are getting to where I want to be they have some features uh, that I don't have uh, they care about this one thing so much that they're willing to uh, you know do everything sacrifice everything to get there uh, I know very few successful entrepreneurs who had uh, very healthy 
uh, personal lives. And, and, and they might exist, but I haven't seen the pattern. And then I, you know, I saw what they were working on, and this, this is what really got it for me. There are a lot of people that started similar agencies as mine you know, at the same exact time that I've known you know, for three or four years uh, as colleagues. And the, the ones who have 30 or 40 employees, they are all doing a certain kind of work. It's not interesting new work. It's uh, working on you know, the same basic stuff over and over again. So I, I thought about that. I thought about you know, personal trainers. If I was a personal trainer, would I want to, you know, if, if I was an uh, Olympic athlete personal trainer, would I be happy, you know, going to a 24-hour fitness and helping people lose, you know, the first 10 pounds? I would hate life. Mm-hmm. And yet that was what my agency was. I was forced to do the basics for everyone. And the classic thing a consultant say is when they're trying to change a company is crawl, walk, run. You have to, you know, work with these companies to slowly get them to where they need to be. And I just said, fuck that. I, I want to run. And, and I couldn't uh, manage an agency that people wanted help to crawl. Mm. Uh, Stephen, what was that name of the book that you mentioned? Something Happiness? Uh, uh, Stumbling on Happiness. Stumbling on Happiness. Do you know who the author is? I, I want to say Daniel Gilbert. Very cool. And I actually come across something like that yesterday, believe it or not. I'm reading this book called Wooden Leg, and it's about a Native American warrior who he lived in the mid-1800s and actually ended up fighting Custer's in the, the Battle of Custer. But he was saying some of the happiest times of his life was when he had nothing to do but hunt buffalo hang out with his friends basically. And, <laughs> and I was, I thought to myself, you know, you see all these people that are super ambitious for all these things. And we work so hard for all this stuff. And even, you know, respectfully, you say the same thing for digital nomads. You know, we have these massive goals. I want to visit so many countries and make this much money to do all this stuff, you know, but how many of them are truly incredibly balanced and fulfilled and happy from the outside looking in you know on facebook and instagram you see those pictures and you think well how could they not be but when i first left the states and lived in costa rica i wasn't happy i was in a failing relationship and i was had plenty of money coming in i wasn't worried about that but i was just there was something missing something really really missing now so if an entrepreneur is, is sitting in his business and say this person has a, a decent business and you mentioned some few things, look at the, look at the people that have walked the path before you. What are some other things a person can do to really kind of measure if they're on the right path or not? Well, the, you know, you mentioned the personality testing earlier. I was been kind of obsessed with since I was at the entrepreneur house and, um, one one thing I've I've come I've got gotten out of uh, reading this this test and I, I think p- people should kind of dig into it. It's um, socionics uh, and it's Russian, so that's either a plus or a minus depending on where you, you live these days. But uh, it's it's great because they you know most personality tests kind of amount to uh, telling you a horoscope about how you're a precious snowflake, and uh, this one will basically tell you exactly everything wrong with you. Wow. Um, okay. So. It's there's uh, one personality I keep coming up against uh, that for some reason it just uh, shows up in my life repeatedly and and basically this predicts that 
uh, the, the personality test predicts that this this type of person will with me basically we, we half fit like um, they solve we solve half of our ex- expected values but not the other half so like the closer you get the more you feel like oh there's something missing but you know from a distance you're like uh, there's you know this is great and uh, but from from this there's a really cool idea about you know kind of what your strengths are and um, and and what the kind of typical social roles are uh, for for someone of your personality and I, I you know so for example uh, you know I tend to t- test as someone who's more of a researcher um, you know that might look like uh, that's surprising a, a book <laughs> surprise <laughs> random things yeah mm-hmm. uh, so you know that that might be a bookworm uh, but you know a more extroverted version might be someone who uh, starts a business but is always starting crazy ideas that, that can't possibly succeed. Like a, um, the, like, like I think it was a Don Quixote who's like, um, sl- like attacking windmills, kind of like this classic idea. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, so for me, uh, you know, I, I'm terrible at managing people. Uh, I don't enjoy it. I'm not especially good at it. I'm not great at persuading people to, do what I want uh, for a sustainable period of time, and and so knowing that I shouldn't manage people, I am very good at seeing the future. I'm very good at seeing what's happening. I'm very good at, at creating things again where I can see the end. And and so for me, writing and uh, programming are two ways that I can create something as valuable that uh, doesn't require other people to to work for me. So uh, another great book that's influenced me a lot in this is kind of the different ways to be an entrepreneur is, um, I, I think it's the Millionaire Fast Lane uh, with D-Day, MJ DeMarco. Okay. Uh, he kind of outlined these different ways to to create a business that's passive income. And uh, I remember it was, I don't know if I even remember all of them, but I, I think there was, you know, one is based on people, you know, agency, you know, some kind of staffing thing, and it's the easiest to get started, but it's not very passive. And then you have, you know, some kind of real estate property or rental property. Um, you have information products, uh, but that could be a, you know, best-selling book. It doesn't have to be kind of a, a 99 cent book or ebook. Uh, it could be software products, and uh, I'm probably missing one. And then basically having cash, like the, you know, the best way to make a million dollars is to have two million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. So I, th- I think just kind of matching those to personalities. If you are, if you love persuading people to do stuff, uh, you know, working with uh, hiring people is great. If you love direct sales and meeting people face to face, then probably selling B two B is great because you know one conversation can make you six figures. If you're kind of introverted and analytical and you want to do things on your own time, you probably shouldn't be doing face to face sales. If you have a huge amount of empathy, and I don't, uh, <laughs> then you should be doing consumer products because you can probably really understand why someone would buy something and and communicate it in a in a way at scale that you could sell a lot. Uh, and and so kind of just matching the different personalities. Uh, there are some personalities that really love building things and. You know, so for example, Trump. Uh, you can you can look at his personality and predict that he would be in real estate. You can predict that he would have a certain style of investing. 
but that he's not going to be a, a statesman who kind of maintains status quo. Uh, and, and that's, he, he found the right types of business for his personality. A lot of people don't. Uh, it, and it took me a couple of years to kind of uh, acknowledge that and, and get away from the doing the wrong one. Is being president the right type of business for his personality? Uh, well, I, that's a little scary because <laughs> one of the typical social roles of his personality is to be a revolutionary. Mm. And, uh, and so certainly if uh, that's the kind of president you want, then it is a good fit. Um, it's definitely not the most common personality for a president, but it, it's not the least common either. Uh, I think actually there's been a lot of comparisons to, um, to Nixon and Reagan for um, kind of a style of, of being a bit of a loose cannon and needing people around him to, to, you know, make sure he doesn't touch the nuclear codes kind of stuff. Ironically, Che Guevara has the same birthday as Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is, these are not good times. <laughs> revolutionary spot on. So you talked about you're good at, at seeing the future. Uh, what are your thoughts on the future of entrepreneurship and where it's headed? Uh, how about the future of digital nomads? Yeah, that's uh, good. Let's start there. So, so you know, there's a great post that by 2020 or something, there'll be one billion digital nomads. That's yeah. that's garbage. Yeah. Uh, whoever had the idea to write that was one. He was brilliant to to get the the clickbait in the marketing, but to actually put that out there is is just it's bullshit. So, uh, and he doesn't understand the way things move in cycles. It's Peter Levels. Uh, He's the creator of hashtag nomads. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, sure, he's amazing, but but that was that was some. Uh, at best, I was overly optimistic. Yeah. Uh, the the reality is, uh, you know, these things go in cycles, and uh, we've, you know, a lot of my story as a digital nomad has kind of been a, a personal mirroring of the downsizing in the U.S. So I, I read this book when I was twelve. It was one of Michael Moore's early books about. You know what was happening with downsizing and, and how jobs were moving overseas. I guess a lot of people would become, you know, liberal and protest. And I tried that for a bit, and it wasn't for me. So instead, I decided to, you know, mimic what these what General Motors was doing. It's like, well, I can I can outsource better than they can. Um, you know, and and so a lot of actually, I, I think that might be a, a, a common pattern. Uh, a lot of the things that the companies are doing are going to happen. Uh, on a digital nomad level, on a on a micropreneur level, because uh, the information uh, assimilates very quickly and allows us to do the same thing. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, people, you know, s- mimicking the the incorporation in the Virgin Islands, uh, mm-hmm. even though there's no reason to do it unless you have a you know <laughs> revenue to speak of. Uh, you know, we're seeing people uh, trying to, you know, do geo arbitrage and, and hire by by cost and. And, uh, and and I think if you look at corporations, you can predict then what digital nomads will be doing in three years. And I think a lot of corporations are realizing that there's a, a huge hidden cost to hiring uh, overseas because you lose a lot of uh, a lot of context if you're not in the same room. And until we really get augmented reality working, that's not going to change. Uh, I found that. I, you know, I had to create a personal rule a couple of years back that I, I won't do business with anyone that I haven't been able to meet in person and shake their hand. Mm. And that's, you know, I, I feel so, so un, 
modern <laughs> to say that, but <laughs> but it makes such a difference. E- even more so because we have it's so easy to maintain a connection uh, online. It's it's important to to break through uh, and and have that that conspicuously uh, personal connection. Uh, so I think we're going to see digital nomads. As, you know, it's it's one of those things. There's be uh, there's an arms race. More and more people want to travel, and they they want to uh, post on Instagram all these amazing places they've been. Uh, but because more people are doing it, it's it's less of the people that should be doing it. Uh, the 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 people who are going to become digital nomads were always going to be there. You know, the the pre digital nomads. You know, the the gypsies, the the people that would go to Thailand for three years and you know their only connection back home was a, a cafe where they could you know check AOL. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there they were always going to be there. They had reasons to be there. Uh, there's a lot of digital nomad tourists right now who are kind of dipping their toe into into that pattern. And so technically, we might see a billion people do it, but they're not going to do it on a sustainable basis. We're not going to see this this permanent flow of people. Instead, we're going to see uh, cities optimized for uh, digital nomadism, but really optimized for these people. So. In the U.S., we already have Austin, and I think uh, New Zealand's interesting because it's getting on the radar recently as a place where billionaires are setting up tax haven. And when I see that on TechCrunch, my first thought is a bunch of digital nomads are going to try to do the same thing and set up shop in, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be hot spots uh, and almost like these city states that are uh, you know notable for the internet connection, which is probably better than yours or mine. And you know a decent quality of life, and uh, kind of uh, a place where you can just settle in and not have to deal with things. Uh, it's 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 a bit of an end of exploration because you can't explore the world, changing cities every night. You you get such a a, a shallow layer of the world. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who who travel that way as digital nomads uh, are craving a a, a more uh, a deeper uh, relation to everything they do. And uh, so they're going to just move less. They have to. Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? I, I think I've reached the point where I, I, I'm going to be doing exactly what I'm doing now, uh, yeah. which feels amazing. Uh, I don't know if that's a normal thing people reach uh, in the thirties, but um, I, yeah, I realize I want to, I want to be, researching understanding you know the future and and creating the future a little bit contributing to it uh so you know that could be writing that could be uh you know speaking about about topics uh and it might become uh, an infinite project by accident uh so for example when i was at the house last summer i i went through this process to to migrate my my entire uh website and everything to a better technology stack and then i ended up presenting it in london in november and you know that's become uh, you know something like a, a part of you know a, a, a potential business where I could offer that to people uh, as a service, and I've had you know clients asking for it. So you know I think I'm going to fall in, back into a business by accident, uh, but I love the Derek Sivers quote that he, you know he said you should never start a business unless someone asks you to. So I don't plan to start a business unless someone asks me to. <laughs> and uh, and they should be asking with a, a large check. Otherwise, I'm going to be 
uh, writing and and creating new stuff and synthesizing ideas and and finding ways to uh, get paid for that. And if I you know get far enough ahead on on getting paid for that, uh, then I'll find places to invest the money that's you know you know maybe an existing business that runs itself that I can I can make changes to uh, as opposed to trying to you know get something off the ground from scratch uh, that you know I don't believe in 120 percent I think you totally could do a TED talk on this <laughs> <laughs> yes yes in five years I will be giving a TED talk uh, and unfortunately, no one will be watching TED Talks anymore. So yeah, the, that's okay. <laughs> that's the day I will be on TED. Is the day that everyone says, "Oh, it's 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 terrible." You could be the, the anti entrepreneur. Do you want to tell us anything about your business? Because you really haven't talked about it. Tell us a little bit about Beachhead Marketing. Sure. Uh, so, I Beachhead Marketing has been a vehicle for for what I've worked on, and and so what it's become is a uh, a, a way to help clients uh, grow through non-obvious marketing tactics. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there about what to do, and often I'll talk to a founder of a company who thinks, oh, we should just use AdWords because that's what everyone does. But then you dig deeper and realize they sell a $100,000 service. You can't use AdWords for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, I advise entrepreneurs mostly, sometimes heads of sales, uh, on how to think through the marketing they're doing to scale what's already working in sales. Mm-hmm. So if they're naturally getting customers through referrals, they should be finding marketing mechanics that will mimic that and will scale referrals as far as it can go uh, instead of trying to jump to a completely new method of getting customers. Uh, and so my focus is a combination of, you know, talking through the strategy, talking through um, the the marketing stack that you might need, you know, whether it's you know, HubSpot tools like that or or a, a more lean stack. Uh, I helped a, f- a friend recently uh, put together a, a completely free open source stack that does everything that HubSpot does, uh, or or it's building uh, custom software that will again mimic something that's already working in your in your pipeline and and scale it so uh that's my interest uh you know i i require again that i've i I can meet with someone in person at least once uh, and shake their hand and uh they're an entrepreneur Um, generally they have a software business because the things i do are uh lead to exponential growth and if they don't have a software business they can't um support exponential growth because they can't hire fast enough to scale as fast as their sales will scale. So uh, it, it's, it's pretty important that they have you know, the operation side uh, that can grow to match the, the marketing side. But um, other than that, just looking for you know, clients who are, are fun to jam with and, and uh, understand have some of the same values. Beautiful. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can get a hold of you at if they want to reach out? Maybe <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> so be yeah, kind of, um, I thought uh, you know, I was uh, thinking it'd be kind of cool if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really want people to reach out to me, but if they have to, um, I, I have a I have a newsletter. I'm pretty proud of. It averages more clicks than sends, and I, I send it out every Sunday morning. Um, it's uh, you know a lot of people rave about it. It's it's probably the best way to understand my work and 
uh, you know, hopefully you, if you read all of it, you don't won't even need to work with me because you'll figure you'll know everything I know. Uh, it's at uh, beachhead.io forward slash newsletter. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to spam people. I've, I'm over that. You can also get all the resources on my website for free. No, no registration required. Um, but, uh, but the newsletter is also kind of a soft requirement for anyone I work with that, you know, if they're not subscribing to a newsletter, then I, I don't know how to talk to them because we can't use the same language and the same assumptions about how these things work. Steven, and, I, and they'll get my email address from that. I, you know, I guess if they want to email me. Very good. Steven, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show. I actually really enjoyed this much more than I thought I would. Not because you. <laughs> Backhanded compliments. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, thanks for coming on the show. I did really enjoy the chat. And listeners, you know where to reach out for Steven. We'll put the links in the show notes. And that's a wrap for today. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world Just having having you say their name, they're going to be happy. But um, you know that's about as close as you're ever going to get. And uh, and I think a hundred true customers uh, are people that you know they 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 trust you to do something important for them in their life every day. And uh, they're going to be hurt if you let them down. But they uh, you know if they have a closer relationship with you than than a fan. Uh, and it's kind of ongoing, but, but they don't expect to get exclusive access to you. And then kind of 10 true clients, if you're doing something like consulting, then, you know, they, they really want, you know, they don't want to work with your company. They want to work with you. And, and no matter how many people you hire for, for your company, they still want to work with you. And it's, it's always going to be Chris Reynolds LLC, even if you name it something else. Yeah. And, and then kind of one, one true, one true boss, you know, when you have an employee, uh, employer relationship and, and so I think the really interesting thing is how do you move to different orders of magnitude? And 
and you know we we have a lot of a lot of people jump from you know having one boss to having trying to get a hundred customers or a thousand fans, but that's a really big jump. And and one reason consulting actually works as a great way to start uh, a new product business is because the the, the high fidelity uh, information you get from those first ten people that you work with allows you to understand the hundred people, and those hundred people allow you to understand the thousand. Um, yeah, 